Today is September 1st. This is Verses in Flow. I'm Jennifer and I am blessed, happy, grateful, and glad that you are here with me today as we take another step forward in our journey through the Bible in a year. Happy September, y'all. We have been doing this for a full eight months. We gonna make it on through the rest of this year. Let's do it. In today's reading, we're going to witness the dramatic conclusion of Job's story, the powerful message of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians, a royal wedding song in Psalm 45, and the warning against adultery in Proverbs 22. And as I was looking at Job today, I had a thought about the catalyst that started this whole calamity. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about it, but Satan, it all began with the Proverbs opposition between the adversary and God. That started this whole thing. Satan basically told God that the only reason why Job was faithful to him was because his life was so blessed and prosperous. In other words, Satan was challenging the authenticity and veracity of Job's faith. And God allowed Satan to test Job because he knew the kind of man Job was when he proffered him to Satan. But as I continue to read and examine this text, I couldn't help but wonder what would happen if God allowed Satan to test me in the same way. Would my faith be able to withstand the loss of my checking and savings account, my retirement account, my home, my family, and my health? What do y'all think? If we really lost it all. Would we still hold fast to our faith and trust in God the same way that we trust Him when everything is going well? Would we trust Him when everything seems hopeless and bleak? It's a sobering thought, but I think it's one that we should consider deeply. If God took back everything He gave us, or even one thing that we really, really, really love, how would we respond? Who would we be if we were in Job's shoes? There's a lesson here for sure. Do we trust in God because of the blessings he's given us, or do we trust in him simply because he is who he is? Is our love and relationship conditional? Is it based on what God does for us or who God is to us? Job learned that God is more than a provider, more than a protector, more than a rewarder. He is the source of life, the giver of wisdom, and the judge of everybody. Job's story invites us to look beyond our circumstances and see God in a different way, see him for who he really, really is. When we do that, we will find that he is more than enough for us. Now we're reading from the NLT once again today. I didn't realize yesterday when I said, I think we're only going to be in the NLT for one day and then go back to the NET that the theophany would take us into today as well. So we're reading from the NLT because I believe that it's a little clearer, a little closer to the way that we speak to and understand one another. And I really want us to get all of this in the most comprehensible way possible. All right, let's flow into it. Job chapters 40 through 42. Then the Lord said to Job, Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? Job responds to the Lord, 
Then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. The Lord challenges Job again. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove you are right? Are you as strong as God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? All right, put on your glory and splendor, your honor and majesty. Give vent to your anger. Let it overflow against the proud. Humiliate the proud with a glance. Walk on the wicked where they stand. Bury them in the dust. Imprison them in the world of the dead. Then even I would praise you, for your own strength would save you. Take a look at Behemoth, which I made, just as I made you. It eats grass like an ox, see its powerful loins and the muscles of its belly. Its tail is as strong as a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are knit tightly together. Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs are bars of iron. It is a prime example of God's handiwork, and only its creator can threaten it. The mountains offer it their best food, where all the wild animals play. It lies under the lotus plants, hidden by the reeds in the marsh. The lotus plants give it shade among the willows beside the stream. It is not disturbed by the raging river, not concerned when the swelling Jordan rushes around it. No one can catch it off guard or put a ring in its nose and lead it away. The Lord's challenge continues. Can you catch Leviathan with a hook or put a noose around its jaw? Can you tie it with a rope through the nose or pierce its jaw with a spike? Will it beg you for mercy or implore you for pity? Will it agree to work for you, to be your slave for life? Can you make it a pet like a bird or give it to your little girls to play with? Will merchants try to buy it, to sell it in their shops? Will its hide be hurt by spears or its head by a harpoon? If you lay a hand on it, you will certainly remember the battle that follows. You won't try that again. No, it is useless to try to capture it. The hunter who attempts it will be knocked down. And since no one dares to disturb it, who then can stand up to me? Who has given me anything that I need to pay back? Everything under heaven is mine. I want to emphasize Leviathan's limbs and its enormous strength and graceful form. Who can strip off its hide and who can penetrate its double layer of armor? Who could pry open its jaws? For its teeth are terrible. The scales on its back are like rows of shields tightly sealed together. They are so close together that no air can get between them. Each scale sticks tight to the next. They interlock and cannot be penetrated. When it sneezes, it flashes light. Its eyes are like the red of dawn. Lightning leaps from its mouth. Flames of fire flash out. Smoke streams from its nostrils like steam from a pot heated over burning rushes. Its breath would kindle coals, for flames shoot from its mouth. The tremendous strength in Leviathan's neck strikes terror wherever it goes. Its flesh is hard and firm and cannot be penetrated. Its heart is hard as rock, hard as a millstone. When it rises, the mighty are afraid, gripped by terror. 
mirror. No sword can stop it, no spear, dart, or javelin. Iron is nothing but straw to that creature, and bronze is like rotten wood. Arrows cannot make it flee. Stones shot from a sling are like bits of grass. Clubs are like a blade of grass, and it laughs at the swish of javelins. Its belly is covered with scales as sharp as glass. It plows up the ground as it drags through the mud. Leviathan makes the water boil with its commotion. It stirs the depths like a pot of ointment. The water glistens in its wake, making the sea look white. Nothing on earth is its equal. No other creature so fearless. Of all the creatures, it is the proudest. It is the king of beasts. Job responds to the Lord. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Conclusion, the Lord blesses Job. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildab the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite did as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Then all his brothers, sisters, and former friends came and feasted with him in his home. And they consoled him and comforted him because of all the trials the Lord had brought against him. And each of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. He named his first daughter Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuk. In all the land, no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job, and their father put them into his will along with their brothers. Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died, an old man who had lived a long, full life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11-21 through 21. We are God's ambassadors. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. 
Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Psalm 45 for the choir director, a love song to be sung to the tune Lilies, a psalm of the descendants of Korah. Beautiful words stir my heart. I will recite a lovely poem about the king, for my tongue is like the pen of a skillful poet. You are the most handsome of all. Gracious words stream from your lips. God himself has blessed you forever. Put on your sword, almighty warrior. You are so glorious, so majestic. In your majesty, ride out to victory, defending truth, humility, and justice. Go forth to perform awe-inspiring deeds. Your arrows are sharp, piercing your enemies' hearts. The nations fall beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. Myrrh, aloes, and cassia perfume your robes. In ivory palaces, the music of strings entertains you. King's daughters are among your noble women. At your right side stands the queen, wearing jewelry of finest gold from Ophir. Listen to me, O royal daughter. Take to heart what I say. Forget your people and your family far away. For your royal husband delights in your beauty. Honor him, for he is your Lord. The princes of Tyre will shower you with gifts. The wealthy will beg your favor. The bride, a princess, looks glorious in her golden gown. In her beautiful robes, she is led to the king, accompanied by her bridesmaids. What a joyful and enthusiastic procession as they enter the king's palace. Your sons will become kings like their father. You will make them rulers over many lands. I will bring honor to your name in every generation. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. Proverbs 22 verse 14. The mouth of an immoral woman is a dangerous trap. Those who make the Lord angry will fall into it. Okay, I just want to do a really quick recap of what we read today because we did actually conclude the book of Job. Chapter 42 is the final chapter of Job's ordeal. 
After God challenges Job with his questions, Job humbly admits his ignorance and repents of his words. And I think that this is the best response Job could have had. God then restores Job's fortunes, giving him twice as much as he had before. Now, he also rebukes Job's friends and makes them offer burnt sacrifices to him. And he tells them that Job will have to intercede for them so he doesn't have to deal with their foolishness. I thought that was kind of funny. There's some poetic justice there going on. Then he also blesses Job with seven sons and three daughters. Now, of course, we can't replace people the way that we replace material things. And so this doesn't necessarily mitigate the loss or grief that Job experiences as a result of losing his first 10 children to death. However, there is an underlying principle here, and it is that when we trust God, we will ultimately be rewarded. Now, we don't know when the reward is going to come, but we do know that we will ultimately be rewarded. And Job definitely was. He was given double of all that he had. And interestingly enough, the names of Job's daughters are mentioned, but not his sons. And this could indicate that Job's daughters were exceptionally beautiful and wise and therefore worthy of being pointed out in the text. As the text says, they received an inheritance along with their brothers, whatever the reason. What we do know is that this is a departure from the patriarchal tradition of primarily or predominantly listing the male names in the genealogical records and not the women's names. And so I thought that that was worthy of mentioning. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we have one of the most important passages in the New Testament. It reveals the heart of the gospel, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. I think it also shows us our identity and mission as Christians. We are new creations in Christ, ambassadors, envoys of God's grace. And we are also, in our own respects, ministers of reconciliation. We've been given the message and the ministry of reconciliation to urge and encourage and win others to be reconciled to God through Christ. And then in Proverbs 45, we have a beautiful song for a royal wedding. And some scholars see this psalm as a messianic prophecy pointing to Jesus Christ as the ultimate king and his church as his bride. And then Proverbs 22:14 is a sobering warning against adultery. This has definitely been a rich, rich week in readings. And I am just so excited and just so delighted by all that we are taking in in the word of God. I I just cannot get, I can't get enough of it. Let's pray, y'all. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today with hearts full of gratitude and thanksgiving. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we thank you for the gift of a new month, a fresh start, and the opportunity to make the most of our time here on earth. Lord, we recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And we are so grateful for the way you keep showing up in our lives, for the many blessings that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the gift of life and for the strength to carry on each day. Every day is different, Lord. And we're thankful even for the challenges as they help us to grow and become stronger and better than we were before we experienced them. Lord, we pray for your continued guidance in all that we do. We want to honor you with our talents and our abilities. We want to honor you with all that you have entrusted to us. 
As we move forward into September, Lord, we pray for your wisdom in our thought life. Protect our minds, Lord. Help us to stay focused, to think on whatsoever things are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Keep us in the right head and heart space. Help us to remain alert to the lies of the enemy and be aware of ways we might be caught slipping. Keep our minds from drifting into idle speculation or harmful brooding or rumination. Lord, help us to combat negative and unhealthy thoughts and replace them with kind and compassionate self-talk. Help us to keep the proper perspective by remembering that you are in control regardless of what it looks like. Lord, we need our minds and we need our minds to be strong and sound and sharp and sober. Renew our minds where we've lost the proper perspective or gotten so comfortable that we only see things one way. Lord, we just we just ask for you to just be with us. Lead us on the path that will bring us closer to you. For we know that that's where our greatest fulfillment and purpose is. Give us the savvy to make the right decisions for our relationships, our careers, our finances, our health, and all other aspects of our lives. And Lord, if it be your will, we just ask for your divine favor and our endeavors. Bless our work. Bless our studies. Bless our aspirations. Bless our passions. Lord, we need you. We cannot do this on our own, nor do we want to. We want you. And we want you so desperately that we surrender our all to you. We give back to you what is already yours. Lord, we declare that this month, we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. We choose to believe that all things are possible for those who trust in you. We choose to walk in faith, knowing that you are faithful to fulfill your promises. Lord, we choose to look ahead and not behind, knowing that you will give us what we need to go on. We choose to put our hope in you and trust that all things are working together for our good because we love you and we are called according to your purpose. Lord, we choose to rejoice in you always, even in the difficult times, to be glad in your presence because we know that you are a good, good father. And Lord, out of deep reverence and gratitude for all that you've done for us and all that you continue to do, we choose to be intentional about making the most of every moment and experience that you bless us with. Lord, may this month be a season of breakthrough, of growth, of opportunity and overflow as we flow with you. We offer this prayer with hearts trusting in your unfailing love and provision. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And our affirmation for today, my life is too valuable to waste on the bitterness of regret. Every day, I am cultivating the sweet fruit of redemption and renewal. My life is too valuable to waste on the bitterness of regret. Every day, I am cultivating the sweet fruit of redemption and renewal. And our aphorism, I really love this one. There are four ways God answers prayer. No, not yet. No, I love you too much. Yes, I thought you'd never ask. Yes, and here's more. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for being on this epic adventure with me. You belong here and we belong together on this journey. I love you. And if God says the same, I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you.